from Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Monk. Well, today is the last in a series that we've been doing uh, over the past few weeks on personal transformation. Um, And last week, I quoted William Johnson uh, in his introduction uh, to his translation of The Cloud of Unknowing. Um, and, And he says, William Johnson says that the author of The Cloud of Unknowing speaks of two clear cut steps to enlightenment. Two clear cut steps to enlightenment. The first is the rejection of all thoughts about what I am and what God is in order to be conscious only that I am and that God is. The second step, he's saying to uh, enlightenment, is the rejection of all thought and feeling of my own being to be conscious only of the being of God. And I was saying that I thought that that idea of, of, of the rejecting all thoughts about what I am and what God is in preference to that I am and that God is really can be seen as referring to the practice of meditation, getting out of the, uh, uh, being controlled by our thoughts and our minds. You know, simply not asking questions about what God is and how, and, and how God is, but simply acknowledging that I am and that God is. And that the second idea, that all thoughts of my own being and being conscious only of the being of God, that idea is referring to the idea of worship. So we're going to look at that side of it today. And I I said right at the beginning that the, the, the etymology of the word worship really means to give worth to something. The whole idea of worship is to ascribe worth to something really which is how a lot of us end up worshipping money. We ascribe worth to money or, or worshipping the Beatles. That ages me. Or the Rolling Stones or whoever. You know, we end up worshipping boy bands. Or, and we just give complete worth to them. And you can see how that, you know, particularly in a rock, how that produces a state of ecstasis. Uh, stasis. That, that word comes from the same 
uh, root as the status quo. It's to stand as it is. Ecstasis is to come out of yourself. And you do see in Constance, particularly, you know, people completely in states of ecstasy coming out of themselves. We give worth to the extent that we go out of ourselves and we inhabit the beingness that we're worshipping. We inhabit the beingness uh, that we're worshipping. And you become what you worship. You become what you give worth to. So in religious terms, the idea is that through giving worth to the the, the divine nature, you are intentionally coming out of your source, coming out of yourself. You're intentionally coming out of yourself and inhabiting the being of that divine nature. Whatever you like to call it, the source of all, the universal mind, deep consciousness, however you see that forming, ordering source at the center of the universe, you come out of your small self and become a part of that. And it's different from meditation in that the mind is involved and is seeking that a transport of delight. You know, in theological terms, worship is the response of the creature to the eternal. In theological terms, it's the response of the creature, the created, to the eternal. And, you know, I had that reading of the Lord's Prayer. Because, you know, that nowhere can you see it more clearly than that. I've I've spoken about this before, and I'm going to repeat it again because it is worth repeating. You know, we just mumble the Lord's Prayer most of the time. But actually, it is a set of words that opens up a portal. It's like a combination you know, I, I said before, in that film Stargate, you know, you, they have to get all the different sort of uh, different bits together. And suddenly when they've got all the different words and the different stuff together, a portal opens up. Uh, and they go through the portal and the rest of the film's rubbish. But, but before that, before that, they wanted to open up a portal to another dimension. And the Lord's Prayer is not just, the Lord's Prayer is not just a sort of something that you say and wrote, but it is actually how you attitudinally open up the portal to go through into that connection with that divine consciousness. And, and, and this is how it works at the Lord's Prayer. And, and the version I'm, that I use is a version that was given to me by someone a while ago. It, it, it enables you to have the perfect attitude to go out into that consciousness, into the eternal. It's the perfect attitude for worship. And the mind is involved. When I started my whole meditation practice, I began with this years ago. This is what, what began as I you know, used words to enter into that. You start off with, you know, our father of us or our father. You know, that, you know, that acknowledges the fact that there is an other. You can't say that, those two words, father of us or our father, without saying there is something else apart from myself. So you acknowledge the fact that, that there is an other that is bigger than you. So that is the beginning point of that, father of us. And then the one who is in the heavens. That places the other, that that greater part, in relationship to our lives, that is within us. You know, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So you place the existence of that divine nature totally within us. It's all around us. You know, like we are like a sponge living at the bottom of the seabed, with the ocean 
in and around us. That is the same analogy of that divine nature with us. Father of us, the one who is in the heavens. So we are, we are within that. And then hallowed be your nature, which is the, the act of worship. It puts us in a correct relationship with that supreme being. We Literally, it means may your being be regarded by me with a sense of respect and reverence. In other words, may I give worth to you? May, may I? We're not worthy, that sort of stuff. You know, it is really that, that moment where you give up to that thing. We acknowledge that all we can do in the presence of eternity is to bow down and give up to its magnificence. So you're in that place. You know, Father of us, you've acknowledged the existence of other... Uh, Father of us, the one who is in heaven, just at a moment there. Father of us, the one who is in the heavens, it's all around us like a sponge. Hallowed be your nature. Then you go into that worship. And then may your kingdom come. May your loving nature come to order all things. We're giving up to the wisdom and love that is present in the essence of that being and allow it to order us. You know, that's what we're doing. May your will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. So you're saying not only may your, king, may, may your purposes happen, but may your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. May I be a part of that ordering. Come and inhabit my life. May my life conform to your purposes as I acknowledge that this game is yours and I am a part of that game. Whatever, whoever you are, you bring about perfection. So bring perfection into my life. And you're engaging with that. You're completely saying, I'm giving up to giving myself to you. Give us today our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Give meaning to my life. May I see my place in the bigger picture. And in doing so, may I know what to do in any given situation. It is an ask for wisdom. So you're, you're, you're bringing yourself out of yourself into that, that state of ecstasy. Cancel, the, cancel our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. May I let go of any attachment I have in this life and so be able to focus on giving worth to that divine nature. And in doing so, may I let go of anything that I'm holding on to re- regarding other people. You're just letting go completely. And let us not be led into temptation. That really means, you know, may I not fiddle about with life. I said last week that, you know, the greatest crime you can have on a, in, a, in a sailing race is to turn on your engine. You know, that's what you're not supposed to do. And again, you know, we fiddle about with what God's trying to do. May I not be led into the temptation of fiddling around with my life to make it happen the way my mind thinks. But deliver us from evil. You know, may I not be touched by those with ill intent. You know, my, I like the definition of evil. Evil is, is the privatization of good where people take a good. May I not be touched by that. And then, you know, in the traditional form, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. You know, that is really, for everything that I participate with in this life comes from that divine nature. All power comes from that. All thanks for anything. I receive this, and I'm I'm a part of it. So that whole prayer, and I'm thinking of doing a series on it in the summer, the whole prayer is an act of worship where you totally give worth and you can come out of yourself by by going through those attitudinal hoops. It is Jesus' instruction for ecstasy, coming out of ourselves and into the being of God.
And the mind is involved in the process of giving up to the ultimate worth. The mind is involved in the process we participate in, giving up to the ultimate worth that, as William Johnson says, there is a rejection of all thought and feeling of my own being and to be only conscious of the being of God. That is true worship. And we let go of the preoccupations we have about our small life and we become one with the eternal. And in that moment, we become the word that God utters in us. In the very first session I did of this a few weeks ago, I used that quote from Thomas Merton. He said, and we become this when we get into that ecstasis. He says, Thomas Merton said, God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word can never comprehend the voice that uttered it. A word can never comprehend the voice that uttered it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself. I will find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall find myself. I shall be saved. That is the place of personal transformation, of metanoia, which means the renewing of your mind, of being born again. That's what it really means. It really means getting out of yourself. It is the outcome of worship. And through it, we are truly changed. But like so many things, it's, it's much easier said than done. You know, I can rubbish on about this forever. And you think, well, you know, most of the time when we attempt worship, when we sing a hymn or recite the Lord's Prayer, we just end up mumbling it and it sort of becomes an unedifying dirge, which is probably why, you know, we don't sing that often here. But, you know, we're just not up to ecstatic worship. But you do see ecstatic worship. You know, in those huge evangelical churches, you know, they have their hands in the air, you know, the band is loud, there are 5,000 people, and they are really all being, there is a transporting happening at that moment. Uh, Barbara Owen did our, our flowers today, uh, and I think she's you know, doing really well. You know, but, you know, you can see the hands up in the air and the gates through which people go through here. And, and, and that, you do see that ecstasy. And however you might dislike their theology, that is real worship. You know, they completely let go. It's not very Aspen Chapel. <laughs> I will admit that because Bill in horror over there. And the band's going to come in in a moment. We're going to set up the big speakers and I expect you to have your hands in the air. No. You know, some of us have experienced that kind of worship. It may have been in an evangelical church or singing the Messiah. You know, or the Matthew Passion where you, you get transported. You know, who's, who's actually experienced being transported in that way by singing? Yeah, few of us, yeah. But, you know, the fact is that worship is an avenue which leads us out of our inveterate self-preoccupation to a, div- a knowledge of the divine and ultimate and a union with the divine. And, you know, it's not only in singing. You can have that when you're, when you're walking along in the mountains. You can be totally transported. You know, you really just look out there and you think, wow! 
And that is worship. You, you, you know, and people say, well, my worship is on the mountains. I can completely understand that. How, you know, you become transported. Other people become transported when they paint. You know, they give total worship to that. And, and it's completely okay, you know. That is what the nature of worship is. A theologian once said, by this door and this alone, humanity enters into the great life of the spiritual universe, which consists in the, secret, in the ceaseless proclamation of the glory of God. Thus worship purifies, enlightens, and transforms. It facilitates the end point of transformation. It could be in a choir, it could be on a mountain, whatever awe-inspiring concept of being part of that universal mind that has come through to us. It could be any of those when we are transported into that ecstasy. What we're talking about here, that ecstasy, you know, it's rapturous delight, an overpowering emotion or exaltation, a sudden or intense feeling, a frenzy of poetic inspiration, a mental transport or rapture for the contemplation of the divine things. And and that's really where it does link to personal transformation. If we can open ourselves up to the possibility of worship, then it opens us to transforming ourselves utterly by inhabiting the being of God. That's what you're doing. That's why it says that at the top of the service sheet. We We are inhabiting the being of God. And to do that, you have to move from that point that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago of not knowing to giving the ultimate worth to that beingness. And you know, meditation and worship just go from one to the next. You know, once you stop thinking about what I am and what God is and think just that I am and that God is, then you're ready to focus out there and you're ready to totally embrace that universal mind, that, that consciousness, whatever it is, God, and not be preoccupied with our own inner feelings. We just look up and we just go, wow, the whole universe is in front of me and I'm a part of it. This glorious realm that I inhabit with its wisdom and its orderliness, the love that's the center of it all, you know, I'm a part of that. And that is the true worship that we can all open to. But our minds are terribly reluctant. They want to say it's all baloney. That we have to stay with our feet on the ground, sensible, rational, and proper. Which is why we have to not know first. There has to be a letting go of all the things we know. You know, a few weeks ago I mentioned some of these courses that you used to be able to go on in the 70s, like EST and, and most of you have done that, and, and Earhart, you know, that Earhart seminars and Insight, Christians, the Alpha course, you know. And people go on these courses and they are completely changed. And in these courses, you know, your current worldview is challenged to a point where you gradually get to that point where you admit that you don't know. It's challenged to a point where you admit that you don't know. And, it, and because you admit that, a huge amount of energy is then released because the amazing possibilities that come about, that's all held down by what we think we know. We let go of our beliefs that we've been holding on to. You know, I can't do this because. This could never happen because. And suddenly all bets are off. And you can get into that point of worship. But we don't, you don't have to go on courses to have it. 
We just have to not know and allow our praise and adoration for the wonderfulness of the world in front of us to change us. And we're lucky here because we can see it around us and it will change us. We have the tools of personal transformation in our hands. But the the truth is that many of us choose not to use them. You know, I said this on the very first message on the 24th of March, you know, that we're looking at how we can bring about our personal transformation. But the truth is that, you know, most of us don't want it because we're quite happy the way we are. We don't want to personally transform. I'm happy with myself. I'm happy with my problems. I'm addressing them. and I think I'm making good progress. You know, being the way I am has served me all my life and I'm not about to rock the boat and throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, to mix the metaphors. And I quite like myself the way I am and my friends like me as well and so do my family. They love me for who I am. So no, I do not want to personally transform. That's, that's what we do think. That's why we don't. That's why we're not all out there in ecstasy like those 5,000-seat evangelical churches, because we're just so held in ourselves. And this is the cruncher, though. We have to remember, and this is why that's not an appropriate answer. No is not an appropriate answer to the question, should, you know, can I personally transform? And it's not an appropriate answer because your lives are not your own. We've come to understand, if we've come to understand anything in this chapel, it is that we live life not for our own ends. We don't live selfishly, but as a service to the greater self, and, and that's the source of all. You know, we come from a place which is that we are individually living sacrifices. That word sacre ficio, sacre sacred ficio to make, to make holy. We allow ourselves to be made holy. That's what sacrifice really means for the greater good. And therefore, the no we have to personal transformation, although it has to be acknowledged, is not an appropriate answer to what is demanded of us by our understanding of the nature of reality. Our understanding tell us, tells us that our transformation, our transformation is what is necessary for the evolution of consciousness. That is what's the heart of the progress of creation. And therefore, yes is the only answer to the question of personal transformation. Yes to not knowing, yes to worship, yes to giving up to that greater love, yes to ecstasy, and yes to playing our role in the game of life. I'm done. (laughs) That's the end. (laughs) Okay. And if you want to catch up on that, you can get the other messages. They're on, on, on the internet and stuff like that. But uh, let's pray. So in prayer, we, we give of ourselves completely. We, we give our hearts into our world. We say that our own personal transformation is what helps in the transformation of the world. And boy, does it need it. And we do really think of all those affected by the violence at Virginia Beach. We just think of those who are touched by those deaths. And we think of all those touched by gun violence. We pray for a sense of love, compassion, understanding and sanity 
that will stop these insane mass shootings. We pray for all those suffering from mental illness, people who feel their lives are out of control, people living in oppressive regimes, people in prisons, in war zones, people who are unfree. And we offer our hearts to them. We pray for those members of our community who are at difficulty at the moment. We pray for the Coffee family after Sam's death. For Mimi Schlumberger. For Patty Webster, recovering successfully from surgery. For Helen Gotchi. For George Brewster, CP's brother, struggling with cancer. And also CP's daughter's family struggling with Lyme disease. Pray for Don Winsholst. Pray for a speedy recovery after hip surgery. For Dan and Doogie Leffler. For the family of Tyler Ribbage. And for Andrew Travis's family after the death of his mother Rita. We pray that we may be able to affect or channel love into these situations and that divine nature may give healing power. Amen.